Welcome, everybody, to The Complete Elaine May, Episode 2. This is uh, part part 2, and yet, Travis, by the end of this, we are going to be 50% done with this season. Isn't that a shame? It is, it is a horrible shame. I was talking to my wife about this earlier. She was fascinated by the story of Elaine May and uh, what we had talked about in the last episode, just kind of uh, how she was an anomaly uh in that time period of a uh, female director so it is a shame because uh as we're going to discuss in this movie i i would have liked to have seen a lot more movies from her yeah this is a really fucking good movie spoiler yeah, it alert is. um so uh <laughs> so before we uh before we jump right into it um i'll i'll just say a few things we we were talking before the show about how um, I was trying to hunt down why Elaine May made this movie in the first place, uh, and she made it so quickly after uh, A New Leaf. A New Leaf, uh, well, she made it quickly after A New Leaf came out. It took a while for A New, uh, a new Leaf to come out. Um, it took a while for her to edit A New Leaf, and then, of course, it was taken away from her. Um, but this movie came together rather quickly and was produced and directed and uh uh, edited and released rather quickly within a year of uh, New Leaf. Um, and it's also different from New Leaf in that it wasn't her writing it. Uh, this is a Neil Simon screenplay. And he had written into his contract uh, that uh, no one was allowed to change the screenplay from what was on the page. Uh, so I think that was... I've heard that that was a big part of why Elaine May was able to make this movie was that it was uh, written into her deal that she was she had to film the movie as um, Neil Simon wrote it. However, it's quite clear from interviews with just about uh, everybody who has spoken on this movie, which unfortunately is pretty much limited to Charles Grodin and Sybil Shepherd because uh, not many other people, uh, Neil Simon and Elaine May don't give a lot of interviews. Um, and uh, it's very clear from, from Charles Grodin in particular that uh, Elaine May and Grodin and the other actors pretty much improvised most of this movie. Uh, <laughs> and then what happened was Neil Simon started showing up on the set when it was first, uh, when they were first shooting uh, to make sure that his words were being written uh, or filmed as they were written. And Elaine May started improvising. And basically she got him to agree that they would film each scene in two different ways, the way that it was written and then the improvised uh, or sort of rehearsal-based uh, process that uh, Elaine May wanted to do and that Charles Grodin wanted to do as well. Um, and by day nine, he stopped coming to the set. <laughs> <laughs> and part of, and, and, you know, part of that, he, he lost his wife uh, the next year. She was struggling with cancer, so that could have been part of it as well. I think he was kind of distracted, but I think that allowed her to, you know, make the, the kind of movie that she wanted to make and the kind of movie, obviously, that, that she was most comfortable making. Um, and as I was reading that, it was uh, it it, it uh, reminded me quite a bit of uh, the last director that we worked on, uh, who uh, was Stanley Kubrick, in the sense of 
having a, a basic idea of where you want to go, but not really uh, delivering a screenplay uh, set in stone until you get to the rehearsal process, the casting process, the shooting process to figure out exactly what you want to do. Um, did that did that pop up in your mind at all, Travis? Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, I think that comes from her background as an improvisational uh, uh, comedian. Uh, I think uh, I think that's a big part of her process, especially when she was working with uh, Mike Nichols, and uh, for her to carry it over here with uh, an actor as fantastic as Charles Grodin, who I'm sure just uh, thrived in that uh, just coming up with these little bits and these little throwaway lines and these reactions that he has. Uh, I'm sure it was just a, a great place to be. Um, and you can tell by the product that uh, everyone involved in this film was having a good time in some sense, you know, uh, of, of, uh, of making it. Yeah. Um, One thing I really like about the, the, the writing of the movie as it shows up on screen is that there is this real sense of, um, a mix of improvisation and sort of moments uh, of uh, serendipity mixed with some very complex callbacks and uh, sort of built-in um, sophisticated layering of humor um, that, that by, by the way, was not necessarily in the original script either. It's possible to work those out as you're going. Um, but I really liked that sense that there was sort of an unpredictability to things but there was also this very complex uh conscious uh sense of building humor in the movie yeah Uh, i would i I would agree i think that uh what you just said about it being uh it's it's an adult comedy it it has layers and nuance but it's also his, his like super funny and it's not as dark as the last one but it is pretty I'm thinking about the time it was made and, you know, that's a lot of, uh, you know, baby boomers who were forced into marriage, like not forced, but kind of like societally uh, pushed into marrying at a certain age to certain people and not realizing you have the freedom to kind of uh, change your mind. Like if this isn't working, um, which is, you know, <laughs> on, your and, honeymoon. Uh, on your honeymoon, even <laughs> like you could tell like day one, you see that face he makes when uh, I waited for this, this isn't good. And then it just gets worse. Uh, I guess, I'll, you know, I should, maybe I should briefly uh, summarize, you know, uh, you know, it's a, yeah, it this, is like a, a good this, this is the story of uh, Lenny Cantro. Uh, he is a, uh, you know, uh, salesman, New York Jewish salesman, uh, fought, you know, kind of meets a girl at a bar played by, uh, Jeannie Berlin, who is, uh, Elaine May's daughter. Um, and it's kind of that classic, uh, romantic courtshipping and the, the inevitable, uh, we should wait until marriage, uh, when it comes to sex. And then when they finally get married and they get out on the road and they finally uh, consummate their relationship, <laughs> uh, Charles Grodin, Lenny, is not uh, is not too happy with how things turn out. He's uh, starting to really to get to know her. The blush from their relationship has worn completely off at this point. And in the three days it takes him to drive from New York to uh, Miami Beach, <laughs> uh, he's pretty much decided that man, this isn't this isn't working. Yes, as he puts it, he had his doubts in Virginia, 
He was pretty sure in Georgia. Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's great. You know, they're singing, and it's just, it's it's so well-crafted in terms of uh, this slow uh, dissolving of their relationship as they move down the coast. Yeah, and that's a recurring joke too. Just like even the part where he's like, where she's saying he's grumpy in Georgia, and he was like, "I was grumpy. I, I'm grumpy in Georgia a little bit, but I was fine in Virginia and Delaware." <laughs> <laughs> You're so quiet. I, I'm not a talk. I'm not a night talker. Yeah. You're so quiet this morning. Well, I'm not a morning talker either. <laughs> I'm always quiet at night. It's <laughs> quiet at night. Oh, so many great pieces in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then that's when he, uh, uh, you know, serendipity, Sybil Shepherd's character, uh, Kelly Corcoran, uh, meets him at the beach, and it's an instant attraction. Um, shocking, which, right? Yeah, shocking. Sybil Shepherd, uh, she's probably like 20 at the time, I think. Well, this uh, was the second movie that she made after um, The Last Picture Show, and she was actually... Um, dating peter bogdanovich uh at the time this movie was made and of course peter bogdanovich left his wife polly platt who helped him make last picture show as Mm -hmm. wonderful of a movie as it was um while filming last or after finishing last picture show uh to live with sybil shepherd and uh he was actually on the set um while this movie was being made in uh, Florida and Minnesota and all that stuff. This was the uh, movie that he, she made right afterwards. He was one of those guys that uh, he was one of those le- uh, Lenny doesn't doesn't trust. I don't trust her on her own. Oh so yeah, I'm, just, I'm gonna go be on set with her all day. <laughs> I think he was sort of fostering the glory a little bit. Um, <laughs> the post, both the both the I'm with Sybil Shepherd and I just made Last Picture Show glory. Uh, might as well go down to Miami Beach and have a good time. Well, she brings a uh, fantastically unbridled, sexy, playful, fun, uh, once again, super waspy uh, (laughs) uh, character. So, um, And then, yeah, it becomes the uh, game of uh, uh, lying to be with Sybil Shepard and trying to keep his, his wife, who they're on their honeymoon with, uh, out of the picture and it became this this game of uh, lies upon lies and then you know uh, yeah and then we get to see you know eventually how that develops this is going to be spoiler heavy as usual um, as as we talk about these movies uh, highly recommend you watch this it is hard to find we had a uh, we got it from our library system it's an out of out of print Anchor Bay uh, DVD and uh, but I highly recommend you find it and track it down because it is a very, very biting comedy in terms of uh, how this how this character grows and changes. And I found throughout the film, I never thought Charles Grodin's character was horrible. He lied and he did some lying, but right off the bat you see that he made a mistake and he's trying to not hurt anyone's feelings and but still also make himself happy so it is complex in that nature i found myself like probably when i if i was younger i would have found him appalling but now that i'm a bit older i kind of say like okay i can see it's a character flaw he's 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 struggling with this well that's like (laughs) that's interesting that you see that you say when you were younger because i am 
slightly younger than you and he is a fucking monster in this movie (laughs) (laughs) i don't see it i see it as like you know he he gets i i see it as he's stuck in his social contract well i mean well one really one of the things that i truly love about this movie and you know i'm gonna lay all my cards out on the table here yeah (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna deal them right now are you gonna do? De- you gonna deal not it straight? A, there's not a joker in the bunch. Uh, <laughs> That's a great speech. That is a great. Oh scene. yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is one of the great American comedies. I think mm-hmm. it's an absolute masterpiece. I watched it all the way through, and then the next night I watched it all the way through again because I knew I had to return the DVD, and I didn't want to uh, do that without seeing this movie once more. And by the way. I don't normally uh, endorse this, but since the company refuses to sell the rights to this movie to somebody so that I can give them their my money, uh, it is available on YouTube. It's not a great uh, version, but if you want to uh, go watch that, uh, I'm not going to hold it against you. Um, and uh, he's just sort of terrible. <laughs> I mean, the, <laughs> but one of the things that I really love about this movie is that uh, all three of these characters are extremely complex and human and they have real a real sensitivity to the way that they were approached and she had you know Sybil Shepherd's character uh is sort of terrible as well in her own way mm-hmm. no I agree but there's also this very real sense of like well this is the kind of person that this is the this is the she's created by the world around her and how the world responds to her and you can see that in her behavior and and in her interactions with the other um, people in her family um, and with charles groden as well Um, and then Jeannie berlin who um is uh not uh like a slouch in terms of attractiveness uh is set up as the sort of annoying whiny jewish uh, you know wife that is the anchor around his neck but she almost never does anything that is um like comedically annoying do you know what i mean yeah like, yeah yeah she she's not we're not meant to laugh at her and side with groden in yeah terms she, of she doesn't turn into like horrible. a psycho crazy person after they get married she really loves him she thinks this is the way that life is supposed to go she met this guy that she likes that's nice and she held out so that he would think of her highly and they got married and now she wants him to be super in love with her and he's not and she's constantly trying to forgive him for the horrible things that he does to her and yep. he just keeps piling it on because, um, you know, he he realizes he made this mistake. And that aspect of it, I, I don't hold against him. I mean, if you if you take that plunge and you're like, oh, my God, what is this? That's one thing. But like what he should have realized is like when he saw Sybil Shepherd, like, oh, my God, there's other women out there. Like you don't just say I'm going to drop this wife and marry this other woman like you go home you get a divorce and then you get on with your life you like realize that she was the catalyst but you're not like oh my god i gotta marry this like sex goddess (laughs) that i see on the beach for one second 
and drop this other like loser that I have next to me. And you know, by the end of the film, he's lying, you know, is not going to work as well. Like the, the second marriage is just as doomed to failure. As yes. The first and in fact, is. in the, in the original movie, uh, like in the, uh, in the original cut, they had a scene where they are on their honeymoon and she does something that annoys him and he gets the look of like, Oh, I got to get out of this. <laughs> the look again. Yeah. The, the sitting in the bedroom after at post coital sitting in the yeah. bedroom, just staring at her saying like, looking like, what did I do? Right. Oh man. He plays it so well. Yeah. Like Grodin is one of those actors that uh, he was all over the place in the seventies and in mid eighties. And then he kind of just started making choices that uh, took him out of the uh, career path he was on. Beethoven? And Are you talking Beethoven. about Beethoven? <laughs> or what was he, a Clifford? Clifford? No, it was Beethoven. Clifford is and, the big red dog. No, Clifford is the one with uh, Martin Short playing the little kid. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was thinking, I was in <laughs> no. dog. I was thinking. Oh, no, dog. there's, yeah, no, Beethoven and Clifford. Those were like within like f- like two years of each That's other. That's right, yeah. But it's great. I, re- I read an interview about that, and he was very much, uh, he was being cons- groomed as kind of like leading man type things. He was offered Pretty Woman before Richard Gere was, and, oh, wow. and he, 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 he just r- reviled against it. He was not into this idea, and he really hated it. Kind of like when uh, John Malkovich lost his hair, he was excited because then he could play a characters and not mm. leading men. And I think Charles Grodin just kind of said, I'm not doing this. And you can see him slowly trying to uh, sabotage himself throughout his career, like being in the great Muppet caper, which basically he's playing like <laughs> like a very uh, a very suave version of this character, Lenny Cantrell. Like he's just lying yeah. upon lies. And, and he actually, uh, and I'm sure the graduate will come up at other times in this conversation, but he actually tried out for the graduate or... His his story is that they like wanted him to pay to try out for the grad like to do a screen test ah. and he didn't want to do it and then they gave him like ten pages of line I don't know he had a whole story but anyway he tried he tried out for the graduate and and they eventually didn't uh, didn't take him for it but then he was happy because he got to do these other movies that he liked better I I stumbled on a quote of his about this movie which I thought was really funny which is he said that. Uh, the number of men who tell me how much they loved the movie and how much they identified with the character while flattering is also somewhat frightening. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, But his performance is so good in this movie. And a couple of the supporting characters here, uh, Jean Berlin, who's also uh, just spectacular. She's fantastic. um, And, and the, uh, and the dad, uh, Sybil Shepard's father. And Eddie Albert. Yeah. They both got um, Oscar nominations for this movie. Um, But Charles Grodin is so nonstop funny in this movie. And it's the, the little things like it's the little facial tics that are so funny. But my all time favorite moment is when he, after he meets Sybil Shepard and his wife comes back and she's like standing above the beach and he's got to like get up to the top and he's trying to play it cool. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. He, likes, he flips. He flips his towel. Yeah, or something he flips. Like that. He flips the flip flop to like catch it, and he misses, and he like goes to pick it up, and then he takes like all his stuff and bags it up into like into his towel like a knapsack, and tosses it over his shoulder and tries to do like a cool guy. I'm on the beach in the '70s. Run. It's so uh, funny. I could watch it over and over again in the, again whole, t- in the whole time in the whole time she's on the other level just like lenny yeah. lenny where are you running to lenny why are you running oh it's so good but it's weird too because just like a just like in a in a new leaf you know as much as he's being horrible he still is oddly affectionate towards uh genie's character which also once again it's lenny and lila just like uh, the last one was henry and henrietta um, and weirdly enough, if you, if you, um, I happen to have the IMDB page open, everyone's name, last name is a C or is a K. So everyone oh. has a K sound. So it's Cantrell, uh, Cork, Corcoran, Kolodny, uh, it's just all down the line. But, uh, That's funny. it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause uh, just like in a new leaf, uh, he's oddly affectionate towards her about simple things like care, caring things. Like, you should really put on some sunscreen. No, I want to get a tan. No, I mean, you should put on some sunscreen. It's it's hot out here. And then she gets a horrible sunburn. And which which is, I think, also part of that whole, like, well, she didn't listen to me, so I'm going to go out and play. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's so, it's so... <laughs> Stay out of the shade. Stay There's sun the in the shade. shade. There's sun in the shade. <laughs> Just putting those wet towels on her. Oh, and the part where she's just absentmindedly putting cream on her face and she just looks horrendous, but she's so sweet while doing it. Yeah, I the this movie, as much as it is hilarious, and I agree with you, it should be up there. Like it should be like right there in the top five like best American comedies, um, in terms of just its sophistication, its its storytelling, and its heart. Like there's a lot of like. You can see Elaine May putting a lot of care into crafting the character. She cares about all the characters. Yeah. No one no one is a butt of a joke. No one is, you know, there's no Pratt Folly type character that is there to get the easy laugh. Right. Like all the laughs are earned in this movie and I I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, it's um it really does come out of these characters and what they want and need. Uh, at, at pretty much every moment there's nothing I think that's a really good point about like most comedies have the ancillary characters that can afford to get a little bit more wacky you know like the priest in Four Weddings and a Funeral or mm-hmm. you know the you, it's usually the kooky best friend you know who can like yep. do yuck it up um, That there's none of that here um, and I think what's so amazing about the fact that there is so much humanity and um, sympathy for these characters and empathy in this movie is just how dark this movie is, because it is a extremely dark movie. I actually think it's a darker movie than A New Leaf in the sense that <laughs> I think a new, you know, a new leaf is very um, overtly like he wants to kill her. So, you know, it it. It, it almost becomes cartoonish to a certain degree uh and it be you know it's a very much a movie whereas this movie is about so many serious and real things and you know so much of that is wrapped up in sort of masculinity um and the 
percept, but also the perception of masculinity in movies. Like this movie almost feels like a uh, a rebuke to the romantic comedies of the subsequent fifty years after this yep. movie was made. You know, like you could you could stick this movie in two thousand five. And people would point to this movie as the movie that killed the romantic comedy genre. Because they, they don't really make romantic comedies anymore. Um, no. And, and I feel like this movie killed them before they even existed. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's basically, I mean, if you, it, it, is, it is after the, the end in romantic comedies, this is where it picks up. Because that's how, like, you know, no matter what the characters have gone through, it's a pretty shallow relationship in most romantic comedies that's the whole point you can't get to that deep uh, heartfelt love or sympathy because you're too busy playing this uh, like screwball shallow game so this is where they would you know lead off this is almost uh this is almost the second half of the graduate yeah you know they get off that bus in florida and there they are yeah (laughs) what do we do with each other the uh the opening montage is really interesting because uh, I guess the song that, that is playing there was written for, uh, the movie. It's like the heartbreak kid theme. Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels like a jingle to a commercial and the whole thing like feels like this, um, lifestyle brand is selling to like the urbanite Jew, like, uh, you know, lower middle class Jew. And he's like, it's almost like the, um, it fe- it sounds a lot like the um is it the Mary Tyler Moore show theme song that's like you're gonna make yep. it after all. Uh, that was lovely. Good Thank job, you. man. It feels just like that, doesn't it? Like it feels it like does. it's like I feel like he's gonna freeze frame and it's gonna be like stockings for men. Well I'm glad you said <laughs> stockings. I'm glad you said that because one of the ongoing songs that they're whistling or humming to themselves is the Coca-Cola song. Mm-hmm. I'd like to teach the world to sing, which is exactly that same thing. Yeah. It's a, you know, that was the huge ad campaign that changed how they do ad campaigns. Uh, you know, a catchy tune and you know, I agree. I agree. I think it, it, it's exactly what it is. It's like look at what we can sell you. And then he has buyer's remorse as soon as he hmm. bought the product. Yeah. And the pro- and the product is that light, that idea that you know the life, uh, yeah, the life. And it's not it's not happening. And she still is into the idea of the product. Uh, his uh, wife Jeannie, uh, Lila, and uh, yeah. And then uh, here comes along a new product, right? Uh, played by Sybil Shepherd. So he has, which is has so far it. from New York. Like, yeah, that line really struck me where she's like, where, where she says, uh, you know, where he's like, what, you know, I can't believe you live in Minneapolis. And she says, what's wrong with Minneapolis? He says, it's so far from New York. That's like <laughs> the know? only thing he could think of to say. <laughs> oh, and when he, she gets, when he gets there, follows her there and she's just, everyone is blonde and huge. Yeah. And he's <laughs> the just guy, like, that yeah. guy who I guess is like, I think he's maybe like one of the producer's sons, but like his neck. And oh that coat God. he's wearing is amazing. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So good. Such a big, thick jock. You know, you know, he has like a Sven Jorgensen or something yeah, like that would be yeah. his name. Um, and the, but, uh, the, the way when he arrives, like all of, like the, he, he's just listening to the weather for like a minute straight in three different <laughs> places. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great transition. Yeah. Like uh, I was, uh, you know, when I, 
uh, oh man, what was it? The uh, the piece on uh, transitional comedy uh, for uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Scott Pilgrim and uh, Shaun of the Dead. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Um, you know, they there's someone did a every frame of painting I think on transitions in comedy, and it was watching his cell phone bars go down as he goes further and further away from the city, and there's all this stuff, and that was a perfect transitional moment, you know, going from the city to Minneapolis and and you hear the weather changing and it's like getting to the point where it's like oh it's gonna be negative six out there today so keep bundled up <laughs> he's just in his car with like the light coat just kind of freezing waiting for her and everyone else is walking around like it's no you know it's normal business so yeah there's another yeah, great transition too with the uh the use of um uh close to you the Burt Bacharach uh, mm-hmm. Carpenter song the uh, they, well, first of all, it's being played at both of the weddings, um, which I, yep. which was a nice touch. But the the only use of the full like vocal version of the song is after he breaks up with Lila and he's taking the bus home, and it's there's this huge uh, helicopter shot along the coast as as the bus is riding away, and it's they they play close to you, and it's just <laughs> so perfect in every way. It is. It's it's the anti-romantic comedy. It, yeah. uh, it it shows how how bad it actually is out there and uh, uh So have yeah. you have you seen the remake of this movie? I have not. I stayed away from yes. it. Um Don't ever see it. Um, I had no interest. But I can... Like once I saw the lineup and I knew who was directing it, I was kind of like, oh, I'm all set. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the reason I bring it up now is just because it it's a they turned it into a conventional romantic comedy by making the Lila character, who's played by um, uh, is it Malin Ackerman? Yeah, Malin Ackerman. Um, into the psycho bitch quote-unquote character Uh, so she turns into like just this crazy a crazy person so you immediately start to sympathize with ben stiller and then michelle moynihan is almost playing lila like she's you know into her family and she's very like sweet and um like playful and she's not at all like uh, the um, the Kelly character here, played by Sybil Shepard, um, she's not like teasing him or sort of using him as a toy kind of thing, yeah. um, and so it becomes very much a romantic comedy, and so it, it it's depressing to watch, but it's also really interesting co- coming back to this movie after having seen it, um, and I I watched this movie once many decades ago and didn't really remember much of it but this really feels like it's making fun of that movie because it's like no in reality the ben stiller character is horrible and i'm going to show you why like why this male fantasy of this guy who like you know me like it's almost like they the the remake is like through the perspective of the Charles Grodin character in this movie. <laughs> like, it's like what he sees through his eyes. Like if, if, if the Charles Grodin character 40 years later made a movie about his life, it would be the heartbreak kid remake oh, <laughs> because it's just like you create, you create this like fantasy of, you know, sort of 
the uh, male opportunity and it's like well you know of course women are horrible especially your wife so if a nice one comes along like what are you gonna do but go hang out with her instead and uh this this movie does not let charles groden off the hook for a second no not at all and it's and it's good it's good because of that it is it 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 holds them there and you're kind of you know you have those moments where you're like oh okay like the last moment of the film after he after you heard him give his his uh his patter to four different groups of people the same patter the same patter he gave at the din- dining room table when he uh, finally got to sit down with uh Kelly's parents for dinner and you know that he's just he's he's lying to himself yeah. <laughs> and that's he's just repeating this mantra to try to kind of keep it together and he sits there and that song's playing and he's kind of wistfully thinking do you think he's thinking about Lila or do you think he's thinking like what do you think he's thinking at the end of that at the end of that scene yeah i think it's a good question um the best case that i've heard for it is the fact that he is just so entirely out of his element and he's given up his entire life for this one thing and he finally got it and now he's got to live with everything else that is built up around that and he's just completely Uh lost because i mean i think um and you know i want to hear your take on this scene before we get too deep into this but i think there is this movie is very much and you know we've been talking for a while here but haven't brought it up too much we've only sort of side sideswiped it but like this movie is very much about uh the jewish male persona in america and what that means both in terms of economics and masculinity and uh, and and cultural assimilation you know the 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 movie doesn't lean into it too hard and it doesn't have to be there if you don't want it to be there. But once you look for it, it's everywhere in this movie. And so I feel like in that final scene, he's really looking around saying, like, I'm surrounded by goys in the Midwest. And I don't even, like, do these people even use sporting goods? I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. There's that. It. I think that moment is the realization that okay, it's the chase is over. Yeah. What have I done? And and there's that bit of I think is that bit of connection to thinking about uh, for me at least. I have a feeling because of the song and the song connecting to their wedding night, their yeah. wedding dance that it is bringing up that Lila. moment of this is the same feeling I'm feeling from the past and it didn't go well last time either and uh, cuz he doesn't end on like a like a sad face or his I've made a mistake face he's wistfully smiling and just kind of like lost in his own thought yeah. when the when the movie ends which I think is a lovely way to end the film but at the same time you know he has completely given up everything to chase this idea that you know, once again, he's buying into another concept, which is the, which is that, you know, uh, 
uh, tall, blonde, beautiful Midwestern. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. American Midwestern farm girl that I'm going to go and marry and uh, get back to the earth and get back to the soil, you know, really create something. But uh, it's, yeah, it is. It's very coded. There's lots of, like, I think even in my, I wrote a thing for Letterbox, but I didn't post it until after we were going to release these episodes. But I think the first thing I said was, you know, a, a New York Jewish uh, salesman. Like, that's how I titled him, even though it's not super prevalent and it isn't in your face, but it's very much about that. I mean, they go to Miami Beach, yeah, which is very, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a joke at this point that that's where uh, Jews go on their vacations. Uh, you know, they go down to Miami Beach and and there's so much of that. And it is that it is that uh, the father hates him automatically because. Uh, you know, basically because of what he is as much as who he is. Oh yeah, because, they move to the, ni- the 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 other hotel because they're you know it's uh, he doesn't like the element at the that, element at that hotel. It's too Jewy, right? As uh, <laughs> as people would say, yeah, it's a, yeah. You could tell that that's and that's in all the subtext, which I think probably comes from neil simon as much as elaine may uh this uh yeah that cl- that that divide which uh was also prevalent in her uh new leaf you know that, that was social class but this one was uh you know this one was along that religious line as well so well and they both i mean they both come out of the jewish comedian tradition um elaine may again i'm assuming that her i'm going to give the Wikipedia and various other places of repute, uh, the benefit of the doubt that her bio is actually really what, uh, her life was, <laughs> but she, <laughs> she supposedly came out of Yiddish theater. Her father was a Yiddish performer. Ah, okay. And their, their, you know, their, their comedic work, uh, was very much tied to the Jewish intellectual movement in the late fifties and early sixties in, in New York city. Um, so one so it's it it's not surprising to see her produce a film like this but of course Neil Simon has that throughout his his work as well um to 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 an even greater degree than uh than Elaine May does uh so I think it was sort of a merging of that and then you got Charles Grodin who's just um super over the top but um just does it so well and funny and um I think with again with so much humanity that they neither one of them becomes a caricature of a like Jewish couple or you know they they really feel they just they feel very much like this um average normal New York couple trying to start a uh a life together and it just so happens that you know one of them is a a bit of a sociopath (laughs) (laughs) no for sure because uh the amount how easy the ease in the ease in which he finds himself able to lie about everything constantly is uh quite alarming uh yeah and uh, oh my god when he when she says like were you really in an accident and he like picks up the phone to call the officer that pulled him out of the car (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just makes her feel horrible. Oh, it's so so bad, so so mean, and uh, oh, 
standing her up so many nights in a row and trying to make everything work. Oh, you know, if you were in court all day, why do you have a tan? Oh, well, there was like five cases ahead of us. We just had to sit out in the sweltering sun on the cordyceps. No water. We had nothing to drink. <laughs> so the first time I watched this this week, like, I, it, first of all, it, 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 there's definitely uncomfortable humor in this movie many, yes. many times. Um, but it's, it's one of those movies where I, like, I was watching it and I wasn't even laughing. I was just completely straight faced just saying, this is so funny. <laughs> like, cause I, I know cause exactly it was what so, you mean. It was so like tense and like expertly executed. And then the second time I just laughed hysterically through the whole thing. But I think I needed that moment of like, what am I watching and how is this yeah. so perfect? <laughs> I, I agree 100%. It was a very much like, I think there was like two times where I was just like straight up like a single loud laugh, like of, of just having to release the uncomfortable, <laughs> but enjoying every minute of it, like going, oh, this is great. Oh, this is so good. And, but not like laughing, laughing. And then, you know, watch it again with the wife and we were both chuckling, you know, howling because it's just so, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to describe how just, you know, when talking about comedies, the language of the comedy is hard to uh, it's hard to talk about. You know, we've talked a lot about like, uh, you know, we talk about cinematography, we talk about drama, and we talk about emotion, and we talk about movement. And with comedy, it's it's uh, the language isn't as familiar to me because it's about timing and it's yeah. about it's about performance as much as anything. And knowing when the camera should be telling the joke and knowing when the body should be telling the joke. And and she just expertly does this like it's 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 uh absolutely fantastic how well she knows how to in which way to uh you know convey the information to the audience yeah and uh trusting her actors to do it or having to you know step in and actually use her directorial skill to uh also make the make the kind of joke land home it's yeah uh, well let's talk about that the directorial skill in the cinematography here because um it is really assured and there are some moments here that I think work uh, because of how good the direction is. Um, especially the sex scenes are really well shot. Um, the way that she sort of holds off on showing things first, the first time it's it's from the outside of the hotel and you really get a sense, you know, they got their dinky car parked there and it's this crappy motel on the side of the road um, and you know, with the, with the voiceover of what, uh, they're talking about as they're having sex for the first time. Um, and then the second time there's this kind of mesh of sheets, uh, that she's just filming and you can't see anything else. And you kind of get a sense of like body shapes underneath it, but it's yeah. just so awkward and it's lit, uh, in this real like neon way. And it, mm-hmm. you, you just, it's just depressing and like, it, it, I, it's so funny and, um, and well done that it's one of those things where like, I could totally see Neil Simon or any, whoever wrote that scene, watching it and being like, this isn't really what I wrote, but it's better than what I wrote. <laughs> Do you know what I oh, mean? For sh- oh, for sure. Yeah. The cinematographer on this is Owen Roisman. Uh, so he had just come off of uh, the French Connection, 
and then to this. Oh, wow. I didn't know um, that. Yeah, and then he moved on. Right after this, he moved right over to The Exorcist. So oh, wow. you can see, like, he has, a, he has a fantastic career. Lots of fantastic movies. Uh, Three Days of the Condor, Network, uh, you know, just... He was a he was a, one of the stable uh, '70s directors that gave films that New York look and feel. Yeah, he was one of those New York cinematographers, and uh, and yeah, you can see that like experimentation in some of the stuff he's doing, but also that feeling of just uh, this is everything is normal. Like this feels normal. Like there's you know there's beauty in some of the normality, but there's also lots of awkwardness and lots of weirdness and. Yeah, that that sheet thing is is a fantastic observation because it is, it's uncomfortable and there's nothing romantic about what's going on. Right. Because the first time is a bit romantic, but you know the the kind of like that idea of like you know high school kids who are like, oh, this is prom's going to be beautiful. We'll go to this hotel. Yeah. It's a flea bag, <laughs> and it's nothing's romantic about it. But in their heads, this is like the you know the the pinnacle of romance, and it's that same idea. Like, oh, this is our wedding night. This is going to be romantic, and it's really—it's not that romantic, but the emotion carries through. But then the second night is just like, okay, Charles Grodin's obviously not into it. She's asking for she's asking for way too much talking, uh, which he's just like, oh come on, would you stop it? Stop asking me that. I said it. <laughs> Make me say it again. And that's one of the it, that's that's one of the moments when he he actually apologizes to her. Like he realizes he's gone so over the top that he needs to like pull back. And and then and then he says, you know, I'm always quiet at night. <laughs> <laughs> Which juxtapose it to the first night where uh, him and Sybil Shepherd are together, and they're on a bearskin rug in front of a fire. Right. In all the typical, this is super romantic way. He even so, calls it out. He's like, yeah. I, all my life, I wanted to be in a place like this with a girl like you. And then they, and, they add on the joke of that, where they start to play a game. And he says, all my life, I wanted to be in a place like this with a girl like you playing a game like this. <laughs> <laughs> It's so it's so fun, and then she, you know, she shows her immaturity with their game that they play because she's also doing the same thing that Lila did. Like, I'm not ready. Right. Let's wait for marriage. But she she's does it in a more him. cunning and yeah. yeah, and it's a more cunning and crafty way of doing it instead of coming right out, which we've learned as her character. She's she likes to play games, and here's another game they play, and it was it's it's a super fun scene, and then. Uh, later, in a cell, in an act of like defiance against her dad, she sleeps with him before marriage. Well, but she decides uh, after he has not like after he has has won essentially won the game by not touching her and puts on his clothes. That's when she's she decides she's going to sleep with him. It was basically he passed the test of yep. like can he and then and my my guess is that she has played this game before with other people. And they've never passed the test. Yeah, that—that's the impression that I get of why she basically eventually make, ends up with him. That makes sense because her character does seem like she would want someone she can manipulate and control as right. kind of being her person. And, and and as soon as he puts on his clothes, she says, "You know, my father really misjudged you." Um, of course, her, his her father couldn't play that game with him to find out. That, um, <laughs> but the, but the then, game and then as she walks away, as she walks away, she says, "I'll sleep with you tomorrow night." There it is, 
and then that's when uh that's when the dad comes along and uh, they have that dinner yeah and we have and actually have... haven't even discussed the the dad very much at all in the in this movie and he really is great in the movie but i also really love the mom like she feels a, uh... she feels a lot like um Blythe Danner and meet the parents to me i feel like that was okay. probably a model for the, for um uh for that uh later role um yeah. but she's just so like over the top exuberantly positive about him and like trying so hard but in that scene where he tells like where he quote unquote lays his cards on the table um <laughs> just watching her face through it is so oh, great funny because she's trying so hard to hold it together and like she's looking back at her husband to see to make sure he's not going to punch him in the face and she's looking, looking at her daughter yes. and agreeing that like oh this is nice right and, 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 and Sybil oh. Shepherd is just sitting there just eating it up she loves it like she can't get uh, enough of, yeah. of the that that situation the tension she's causing yeah oh, so yeah that's a uh, Audrey Audra Lindley she went on to play Mrs Roper in Three's Company <laughs> <laughs> so she's the da- the nosy downstairs uh, yeah, sex deprived. Right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she Which is she's great. really really funny in the movie. It's so good. Yeah, and the dad, yeah, he uh he tries to buy buy Lenny, send him away, offers him 5,000, 10,000, and they basically are that's that's their game that they're yeah, playing. Right. Uh, same thing. Like let's figure out how much it'll take for you to leave my my daughter. Yeah. And Lenny's not having it. So I have a question about that. I mean, do you think in a way in the, in the same way we're comparing those two games, that the fact that Lenny refused to budge on however much money he passed his test, and then that was what allowed him to marry Kelly? Or I guess what I'm, a- what I'm asking is, did you feel like there was enough between that scene and the wedding um, to legitimize that? Trans, quick transition um no i think i think he's resigned to the fact that lenny's will is stronger than his in terms of not giving up you know he's moved to this area even though he's been threatened with physical violence even though everything is against him and uh the dad um mr cochran is just like I'm I'm not letting this happen. Lenny keeps he's persistent. He's he's a salesman. He keeps working it. He knows his client and he knows what it's going to take to seal the deal. And he keeps working it and working it and working it and he wears the guy down. Like it's it's I think it wouldn't have surprised me the way the the way that transition happens in a movie that it was uh maybe a little bit cheaper in terms of uh the characters in inside or a cheap direction directorial move would have been for us to go to that wedding scene to pull back to reveal that she's pregnant Mm. and that's why the wedding is happening like that's the only way i could see the dad letting that happen is because it has to because otherwise it's even more scandalous and worse for his family if that's going to happen right um but uh yeah, that that happens fast, but you can you can see as soon as they're in the uh, like handing her off and at the reception, he's still watching him like a hawk because oh, yeah. he does not trust him. He does not like him. He's only given in because he always gives in to his daughter eventually. 
Yeah, and you can see when he gives her away, like, he doesn't acknowledge his existence whatsoever. So it's definitely, it's not like um, in between those two, in between that cut, there was, um, you know, a, a yeah. reconciliation yeah. of some there, sort. There, yeah, there was no golf game played and uh, cigars shared. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he's not still not interested. His, his feelings about him are the same as when he first met him to now. Yeah, and I mean... It is a bit of a one-note performance. Like, he's just playing the guy who hates this guy. Um, yes. But he does it so well that I'm I'm kind of not surprised that he got noticed for it. Um, and he has, he has some really great moments. Um, most notably, the, um, the hustle to get the boat launched <laughs> um, from the dock before Charles Grodin can chase it down to... Uh, hop on <laughs> and then oh, Charles so Grodin good. gets on and gives like a uh, uh, gives like a nice a try bow <laughs> and, uh, and like a thank you wave to everybody <laughs> and he and he's just standing and he's just standing there like just furious um, it's pretty it's a it's a pretty funny performance uh, very dry and um, yeah it, it it works really nicely um, let's let's talk about Jeannie Berlin a, a little bit more because we touched on how good she is in this. But um, did you have any other thoughts on on her performance? Because I, I do think it's the best performance in the movie, um, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to just rush over it by by dismissing it as as brilliant. No, I I, I agree. Her perform her like her performance was the thing that the two of them sitting in that car on that on that ride together is such a brilliant uh like comedic pairing you can see that they were just playing off each other so well and her performance is like you said she's not she's walking that line she's not annoying she's just she's a little needy but she's also supposed to be what 20 something in this movie at that point in the movie yeah 21 i think, I think th yeah yeah they say yeah so she's a little needy but what her needs are are, are basic love and affection that she wants and she wants her husband to give her because they're married and that's what they're supposed to be and you know she's talking about the future a lot and she's you know you know young and kind of stupid about some of the things she does and you know she allows herself to be uh whisked away to this uh great seafood place which <laughs> it doesn't look that great when they get there yeah they um, give them they give them water bowls and she says wow this must be a lot of money can we afford it i mean <laughs> it's very clear that she is um well i love even just in the beginning um they're having the wedding at home and it's her home uh -huh. obviously and they were unable to get fit in all the chairs for people so that the the aisle is big enough for both of her parents to walk her down the aisle so as they're going you can see them like kind of scooting around the chairs to try to get down the aisle <laughs> like it's just that the room is just a little bit too small for them to make it um and then and then just the whole idea like it's kind of a, a throwaway line that i don't think people uh I, I don't know, maybe people do focus on it, but, like, I didn't catch it the first time, but just, like, when she says that she doesn't know how to swim, like, they went to mm -hmm. Miami Beach on their honeymoon, <laughs> and she doesn't, yeah. like, she, that never came up, that she doesn't, 
that she doesn't know she can't go in the ocean or the pool and then just like the what because the one thing she really does in this movie that is stupid like nothing she does in this movie is um is like mean or oh, no. or unrealistically dumb in a comedic fashion. The one thing she does that like why like what were you thinking was not put on sunscreen. Yeah. And it's very clear she doesn't know how to swim. They obviously don't have a lot of money. She's never been to a restaurant where they have finger bowls. Every restaurant has finger bowls. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, she's never, I think she even says she's never been that far out of yeah, New York. Exactly. So she has no idea that you, like you can't lay out in the sun and not get it and not get sunburned and get yeah. sunburned, you know? And, so, and, and who, and every one of us has gotten a sunburn thinking sure, that we'll be fine. Of course. Every one of us. It's yeah. a perfect, and it's a perfect human signifier. It makes that connection with the audience and nothing she does is worthy of the treatment that right. Charles Go- Grodin puts her through. But she, yeah, like you said, she doesn't play the, the bitch, the psycho, the comedic foil. She plays a, a human character that, is just as much about her experiences as about anyone else's experiences in the film. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely moments where like, I would be like, Oh God, like I just married somebody that like eats, gets egg salad all over their face. Like (laughs) that's, that's a bummer. Like I don't want egg salad in my bed, you know, but, but like at the same time, we've all had egg salad on our face. Let's be honest. You know, everyone has and and like like, yeah, she's taking too long to get ready. But like she's she's in Miami Beach for the first time. She's trying to like look glamorous when she goes down to the pool. These are all like it's it's really interesting, like how many of the moments are things that like they're very stereotypical female like that's like either exactly what females do to annoy men or that's the kind of thing that females are not supposed to do and yet the way the movie treats her character is so is so uh empathetic that um it it really illuminates so much of like how this guy perceives his ability to behave however he wants to behave and treat this woman however he wants her to be treated and it makes the movie both like funnier in the sense that it gets to an even deeper truth um but it also makes it really dark it's a very dark movie and 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 her the deeper she goes into her humanity and the the more we believe her character and i don't think i've ever seen a sort of freak out climactic moment um like that that scene at the, the the dinner table the breakup scene is is so hard to watch and she's you're just she's waiting so for real it. in it she's not oh. over the top like it's very genuine but not like it doesn't bum you out you know like she has to walk this mm-hmm. real line there where it's like you don't you don't want to be in a situation where you want to kill him you still want to laugh it's still a comedy but you want to feel the pain that she's feeling and she nails it. She does. Uh, that feeling of, I want to throw up, and he's keeping her down. He's, don't know, don't oh get up. God. Just stay right here. Oh, it is so hard. And then the comedic, the comedy comes from the uh, the insistent waiter and the, the pecan, pecan pie. pie. Yeah. 
I want a goddamn pecan pie. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. It is a really challenging, heartbreaking, but also very kind of like it's uncomfortable. They cut to like the people seeing another have great this break. directorial choice. Yeah, or yep. an editing choice actually. The guy who who um, edited this movie actually both Neil Simon and um, John Carter, who edited this movie, um, recently passed within the last. Um, month uh, that were as of uh, when we're recording this, uh, he went on to um, uh, do a lot of movies. Uh, this was one of his first uh, few movies, but he went on to make um, Karate Kid three. Um, but he also mm-hmm. did a lot of black cinema uh, in in the nineties and the two thousands. Friday, Set It Off, Barber oh, Shop, nice. um, Boomerang. So. Um, he, he had a pretty, pretty solid career, uh, after this, but yeah, that moment in the, um, I cut you off, but that moment in the, um, in the, the dining room, when they cut to the other people right at the moment, when he says he wants out of the marriage is a really, really nice touch. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely handled like from the directing, the cinematography, they, they go in when you need to, they pull back when you, when you need a space to breathe from, from just what's going on and, you know, you're waiting for her to throw up all over the table because that's where it would go to be cheap, right? And it doesn't, and you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's so well done. The whole thing is expertly crafted. It it belongs to, it, it deserves to be up there and watched and on the lists and to be in a retrospect. It deserves to be seen in theaters again. Um, it's a shame that the person who is holding the uh, rights to this movie is just super super greedy and not understanding that this is uh something that would make him way more money um and garner so much more praise for lane may if it was uh out and uh easily seen it's true yeah um the one other thing i wanted to ask you about um the lila character is if you feel like she is given a justified send-off um, in the sense that we basically end that moment and then never see her again in the movie. We hear a little bit about her getting all of the money in the settlement. Although, mm-hmm. as Charles Grodin points out, if she wants to negotiate, I'll, I'll leave yeah. that up to you. <laughs> it's so... He's such a... He's such a cad. He's horrible. Um, but what do you, but what do you no, think? I, yeah, I mean, what do you think about that? I think I think for the purpose of the story, it makes perfect sense. Um, like, we're with his selfish journey, so... Yeah. Which is funny because, you know, this is one of those uh, cinema of the 70s things where uh, people are coming out of psychoanalysis. It's all about... Uh, being selfish about taking care of yourself at the expense of other people's feelings because it's more important that you're happy than everyone else is happy kind of thing um which i think there's a lot of that in 70s cinema like if you look at you know we consider spielberg like mr family director but if you look at his first like three or four movies it's about broken families divorced parents and like people like uh you know uh Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right. you know, leaving his entire family behind without even a thought about it. There's not even a moment's consideration to go and explore something greater or new. 
And there's a lot of that kind of going through uh, that time period in cinema, this idea of being kind of selfish. So for her, him to, for us to follow him in his selfish journey uh, and leave her behind like that, I think it's proper for the film. And she never deserved that treatment. So she also, like, I guess she, in that sense, doesn't deserve a kind of callback. But I think, like what I said earlier, I think for me, the callback is that moment where we're hearing the song, uh, yeah, you know, the uh, Close to You song, and he's sitting there kind of wistfully thinking about something. I think that's where I, as an audience member watching the film, automatically thought about her. And so I think it's she's present at that end as a fond memory, as opposed to... Uh, what it could have been, which would have probably been a long, drawn-out, horrible life that he would have been lying to her so many times and hurting her more and more. As much as uh, as much as it's horrible what he does to her, I'm happy it happened sooner than later because she probably never would have deserved to be with you know right. be treated the way she did. Oh yeah. But uh, but I would have loved to have seen a movie, uh, you know, a fall, you know, as much as you don't want to see like sequels. But a movie of her going back home and dealing with all of that and learning to like trust or love again yeah. would be also equally as depressing and funny and dark. Right. Yeah. It's kinda of like the Baxter, right? The like yeah. the, the whole like the guy that gets dumped at the end of the romantic comedy. Um, what happens to him. Um yeah, I think what you brought 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 up about the sort of trends in cinema is really interesting. Um, Arrow just announced they were releasing Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in the UK mm. uh, as we're recording this, um, which is a really funny movie. I watched it recently and was was um, pleasantly surprised to, to see that it held up in a certain way, um, it, but it's still very much uh, of its time. I think it makes a nice double feature with this movie. Um, but I think the most obvious comparison and the one that, that everybody has made before is to the graduate. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, actually I have, it's funny. I have three movies in my notes, um, that, uh, you know, I want to talk about for this movie. And there are three movies that we brought up on the last episode about a new leaf. Uh, and they are, uh, they remind me of this movie in uh, completely different ways than they reminded me of uh, a new leaf, um, and uh, they are the graduate bringing up baby and uh, and Annie Hall. But uh, I want to talk about the graduate first. Um, that ending is very similar to the graduate, sort of the open ended after the wedding, what now kind of thing, uh, where you can look at their. Um, faces or body language uh, a lot of different ways and sort of take from it what you will um do you feel like it's an overused comparison because of the Nichols May connection or do you think there's something there I, I you know I think there's something there it's hard for two people that shared that much time in each other's brains with all their writing and comedy that they're that there wouldn't they wouldn't share a similar outlook about things yeah so it makes perfect sense that they would have a similar uh 
you know, uh, viewpoint or lens in which they see the world. And so those films could be so uh, easily uh, put together in terms of uh, themes and ideas because they both have similar themes, except, uh, you know, one's more of a one's definitely more of a female perspective and one's more of a male perspective um, in terms of what is important and what is uh, what is the thing to focus on. Um, where The Graduate, I think, we spend a lot of time focusing on Benjamin, but he's such an empty, empty kind of like, uh, his character is so wishy-washy yeah. and empty in terms of what he wants that the movie becomes a lot more about the style of the making of the film, like the actual mechanics and tech technical technique of the filmmaking. Um, and basically the creation of the music video. I always show, <laughs> I always show, I show those scenes, uh, the, the, the two big montage yeah. scenes set to, I show those in film classes all the time. I'm like, here you go. This is basically the modern music video. This is where it kind of, it, it, it started. Cause it's like mini story set to kind of like very visual information to cut to music. You know, before this, there was just, before that scene, there was just, musical numbers in movies this is something completely different and set apart from the rest of those things and but i think i think where he goes for more kind of surface there's depth and emotion in some of the characters but it's brought out by the plotting i think elaine may's movie uh it's all about the characters mm. And the in the motion and trajectory of the film comes from the characters as opposed to a plot. There's no plot in the Heartbreak Kid. They go yeah. on their honeymoon and then things happen. Whereas the graduate, it's I have nothing to do and so I need to have Benjamin have something to do, so he starts sleeping with this lady and then complications arise. It's actually more of a screwball comedy, the graduate, in terms of the uh the, uh, the the similar uh, the similar kind of like uh, tropes where sleeping with this one lady and it's actually the girl that he's falling in love with and it's it has those it could easily been more of a screwball comedy in terms of how you would tell that story where this one feels less screwball but has the very similar screwball tropes in terms of its plotting which I, I don't know if that makes sense um, it it feels it feels uh, similar but very different, and I think that the Graduate and uh, and the Heartbreak Kid feel similar because of the timepiece, the time period they're set in, and because they're coming from two people who shared a very uh, a very specific lens on things, and I think that's why they can kind of be connected really easily. But I think in terms of their uh, style, they're so different. Um, because of their different concerns, I guess. Yeah. What do you, does that make sense to you? It does. I mean, I, I really like the. I mean, I I, to, I fully agree that, um, the graduate is sort of about the meaning of the story and the um and the plot, whereas Heartbreak Kid is is entirely about the characters. Um, and it feels like that comes through in the direction as well. I mean, I've always sort of thought of the graduate. The graduate was. The Graduate and um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf um, were very important movies in my life because 
it's interesting. I don't really necessarily think of Mike Nichols as uh, one of the all-time great directors or anything like that. Um, but those two movies were um, early movies for me where I really started to notice direction and cinematography and editing. The, mm -hmm. the way that those movies are put together, first of all, it's very flashy. And so it's easier to notice those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but it's also um, so much of the story and momentum of the film and meaning of each scene is driven by that framing and um, editing. And so The Graduate to me is a movie that is only really funny, as funny as the scene is well executed, yes. as opposed to... Um, the movie having a particularly good script. I don't think the script, there's a, obviously some really memorable lines in the movie, but I don't think the script is that great. Um, here, even those, those moments of, of conscious direction that I was talking about, they allow room for the characters to breathe and, um, and sort of become fuller representations of themselves. Um, so, I think that that is the kind of thing that go that goes unnoticed more in cinema than flashy direction does. And I don't know if that's yeah, I... a masculine thing or if it's just the type of people who gravitate towards cinema, but you know, it 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 definitely feels like you know, I mean even just like um, you know, uh, Elaine May obviously the next movie that we're going to talk about uh, stars John Cassavetes and people have mentioned Cassavetes for these two films, even as feeling like an influence on them. Um, and Cassavetes is somebody who has a huge following, but it's not, um, you know, it's not on the level of other Titans of his stature because so many of his movies are character driven. And I think that yes. people often, um, often ignore auteurs like that when they're thinking about the great directors because it, it feel that I almost feel like people think like that's not what a director does. Like they don't, you know, they don't create those moments. They are supposed to storyboard, not, um, you know, workshop. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. The, the world's greatest directors are good because you can make a clips reel of them. Right. You can't make a clips reel of, of, uh, emotional turmoil mm. or, uh, just well, well derived characters in which they've worked with them and workshop them to the point where they, uh, embody and are, and are very truthful in their actions and in their presence. And I think that's a, that's a huge difference. It's a, it's like that thing where you find, you know, you talk to directors who it's like a comedian's comedian. It's a director's director. So a director that other directors look up to, to, uh, to watch and admire because of their craft is so much, uh, more present than having to kind of like gussy it up to, yeah. uh, make the, make the story work, which I think I, you know, I agree with you about that idea of the graduate. It's, it is more, it is more shine. And I think that makes it more, uh, rewatchable for younger people to kind of get into that time period of film because it does have a very, uh, modern, uh, visual language, which I think is part of the deal. 
I also feel like the ending of this movie has um, more universal resonance than the ending of The Graduate. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I personally don't connect with the Benjamin character um, or the Elaine character in that movie, for that matter. Um, But I... And and so for me, it really feels like a message of 1967, not of... um, people in their early twenties or, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and so, whereas this, like, even though I'm, you know, just as, uh, removed in age from this character, um, and I don't personally identify with him, but I, it, it felt more authentic. And especially when I start to think about like, Jewish culture and the, you know, I'm, I'm a stranger in a strange land. Like I moved out here from Los Angeles for, for my wife. Um, and what is that like? And, you know, and, and what is just the process of sort of, uh, realizing that you are of two worlds or not fully, um, absorbed into society. Um, I think those things are, are, deeper in here and you can connect with them on a different level and feel uncomfortable on a different level, which is what this movie can make you so often feel uncomfortable and not just for Charles Grodin's character and how much of an ass he's making of himself and not just sympathy for Lila and the situation that she's being put in, but uncomfortable about what the movie is saying um, whereas like the graduate, it's like, Ooh, he sleeps with the mom. What's that about? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think, I think it's, yeah, it's like we said, we've echoed it a few times. It's that it's about, it's about the character. It's not so much about what's going on, but how these characters are going to deal with what's going on. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and then going back to what you were saying about John Cassavetes and, you know, people who really are into characters and performance and the idea of these characters uh, growing with uh, inside the uh, arc of the film or not growing at all because of who these characters are. Um, I can understand why that might not be as flashy as some of the other films that were made at that time. But when people talk about John Cassavetes, there is a level of... Uh, uh, you know respect and yeah. respectability of him and so it's a it's a it's a it's a funny thing and i think most people that get into john cassavetti's films um it's not until uh, it takes a certain level of film kind of watching like hours put in to start wanting to find something that makes uh, makes you feel differently about film and i think that's kind of what the uh, draw and allure of of films like this are like once you kind of get through all the standards and the stuff you're supposed to watch and some of the important films you start to uncover these just uh wonderful gems of films and of characters that kind of resonate more than a lot of the gloss that uh you get in uh, most films that's an interesting point because i mean both of these movies were well received at the time of their release this movie was even better received than a new leaf um the the new york times review of this movie is glowing um it's by vincent Mm -hmm. canby 
and um, he loved this movie. Um, and it got two Oscar nominations as well. Um, and yet, and and got remade 25 years later, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, or 35. Yeah, that's good math. Okay. Um, <laughs> and yet, like, they do feel like hidden gems at this point. And mm-hmm. is that Ishtar? Is that sexism? Is that romantic comedy what is going on here that these movies are not better known i think i think it's i think it might be a case it might be a case of kind of the period in which they were in um sometimes comedy like it's kind of hard to because if you think about it right after right after this type of comedy um you continue you know you get your albert books type stuff and you got something like that then you start having stuff like uh, Mel Brooks and the Zucker Brothers, meatballs, and yeah, yeah it, it they completely, completely changed the what comedy is about for the '80s. Yeah, and so all other comedy is kind of forgotten because this is what's now, and so I think movies like this, and especially because of the rights issues, Elaine May being labeled as difficult to work with, um, I'm sure it kind of just it just faded in the background and i think some of it is sexism because you take the graduate which was released around the same time it's just as it's you know as we said here we actually kind of like it less than this movie um it's it's something that is constantly put out there as a thing to watch and a lot of people i'm gonna you know i have people in my life that will literally say oh it's oh it's directed by a woman so it's like a girl's movie a woman's movie and you're just like oh my god that is such a stupid way of going about things and i you get you know if you find out it's directed by a woman i'm sure some people just kind of pushed it down the line Ah, i'm gonna watch something else and it's it's an unfortunate thing and i think it has a lot to do with that i think it's a product of its time um, I think it's aged well, but I could be in the minority. I don't know how other people feel about this film. And I think, yes, it was probably really popular in the 70s because if you look at all the other comedies and films around it at that time, um, it they're very much of a like mind. Like this was the look, the style, yeah. and the feel of a lot of 70s films. Well, and, and it's it Neil Simon as well who was sort of the the top-tier Uh, comedic screenwriter of that of that era too yeah and i think you know she still has her name from nichols and may at that point she's uh she's making movies for her generation of people and so there probably is going to be a an instant like i'm going to watch this and uh charles groden at this point i think he's two movies into his like uh career in terms of being kind of like more of a leading type character and so I'm sure there were people that were interested in seeing him. And you got Sybil Shepherd coming out of her other movie in which she's, you know, everyone wants to go see her. So I think that got a lot of exposure because of the time and place. If we were to make this movie now in the same style, uh, you know, this would be like one of those like independent movies oh, yeah. that did well at Sundance and no one saw. And then we pick it up on some streaming service later on. Like it wouldn't. You know, it probably would never have gotten nominated for an Oscar. And she has a, uh, you know, the unfortunate situation of, 
you know, Walter Matthau was a rising star at the time. It was post Odd Couple, Neil Simon, of course, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and Charles Grodin was 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 rising as well, and Sybil Shepherd was was red hot, um, both literally and figuratively, uh, and and yet, but you know, Grodin and, and Sybil Shepherd both had had deep deep troughs in their career where they were sort of untouchable. Um, Sybil Shepherd before Moonlighting was basically couldn't find work. Um, and Walter Matthau, even though he continued to be beloved, sort of settled into his grumpy old men slash bad news bears persona. And it, it, you don't think of him as a, the lead in a romantic comedy. No, not at all. So I think the fact that both of them or all of these, these stars, Jean Berlin didn't go on to, to have a notable career, unfortunately. Um, they, you don't, you don't say, oh, I like, we got to check out this Charles Grodin, Sybil Shepherd movie. Like we've watched the 15 other Charles Grodin classics. We got to watch this one too, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so that, yep. you know, if, if, if their careers had gone a different way and Elaine May, as well if if she had continued to make movies um with regularity and and some of those you know were were better uh regarded um there's a possibility that they these would be better known but uh it's a it's a real shame that uh that we are are talking about a movie that we had to to borrow the one copy in our entire library system um, and, and like for people at home, like we, we have like 50 libraries in our library system and we can rent from any of them. And so this was the only copy in there. Um, this, this reg this DVD regularly goes for 70 or $80 online right now because it's, uh, extremely difficult to see this anywhere. Um, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up airplane as well because uh that's a that's also a very jewish movie um but in a completely different style of humor jewish humor than this movie um and then the other movie obviously from uh the same era was air uh, was annie hall uh which is also a jewish movie um and is also about the shiksa goddess from the midwest um Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an interesting comparison because, I mean, you know, I, I recently rewatched Annie Hall and um, was was struck by how poorly um, Woody Allen comes off in the movie. And in reality, the movie is almost, um, it's interesting that it's called Annie Hall because she is very much the protagonist of the movie. And the movie is kind of about this guy who is shitty and stuck in his ways and like is never going to change. And he has this relationship with this woman who is completely naive and he opens up this world to her and she, she, she blossoms out of it and becomes this person who is much better than him and leaves him to go off to do her to, you know, basically like he, he grabbed this baby bird that fell out of a nest and now she gets to fly away after he's nursed her to health. Um, which is, you know, I don't think the way people really think about that movie, but like, I guess 
it's not really like a romantic comedy in any real sense of the word. And uh, so in that way, it kind of mirrors this movie in the sort of delusional male persona. But I don't know, maybe Annie Hall just doesn't know it. It's not aware of that <laughs> to any degree. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Have you watched that I do. recently? Yeah, I, I, I saw it. Uh, I want to say in the last five years, I saw it again. And no, I, 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 I can totally see that. And I, I agree. It's, it's a comedy. It's not a romantic comedy. Yeah. I think other people have really kind of foisted upon it that it was it's romantic. There's nothing romantic about it. Um, it's funny, and there's funny moments in it. But he is a he is not a he's not a great person in that movie. I mean, he even has this bit of a like vertigo ish trying to recreate the uh, earlier romance. Right. You know, the earlier kind of connection like he lobsters. had by making this yeah. girl do the same thing that he did with the other. You know, Annie Hall. Um, and it is, it is a story about a, uh, you know, someone outgrowing a relationship and that person being emotionally stunted, which, uh, you know, is basically the centerpiece of almost all of Woody Allen. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but they're not autobiographical. I don't know if you know that, but he's, he's mentioned that they're not, the, the character's not, not based on him at all. No, it's not. They're not it just, him. It just so happens to be. Yeah, like I'm just playing exactly... that role because I'm perfect for yeah, that it's role. It's a total coincidence. Because... Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, again, like, it's funny that, I, I mean, the, these movies are pretty different in New Leaf and Heartbreak Kid, but they, they do kind of, you know, feel very much like they must have had a notable impact on woody allen and and may and allen's careers were linked throughout the 50s and 60s they both were writing plays through the 60s but she just got there first i think she had that that better concept and then it's interesting just because like there's so many obviously problematic storylines in woody allen's films of the um late 70s into the 80s and early 90s and um you could see both of these movies going off the rails, you know, and, and instead of feeling like send ups of sort of, uh, male perception being a little bit of a male fantasy to a certain degree. I mean, both of them get the girl at the end of these movies. Um, and you know, I mean, depending on how you feel about Charles Grodin's uh, look at the end, like he's still married to Sybil Shepard, just like he wanted to be. Um, And they, in both movies, Elaine May and Elaine May's daughter are, could easily be perceived as being made fun of or um, being a personification of, uh, you know, female lightheadedness in one case and the the whiny jewish woman uh in the other case um and so i mean i don't know i I, again like there i guess the question becomes like if these movies were directed by a man would we still is there is there a subconscious pass going on here like uh, do we need to check the fact that we know that this was made by a woman and so she's able to get away with the whiny jewish woman or do you do you feel like we're i 
giving these movies justice or their just dues i i think i think we are and i think that the like we uh we kind of touched on earlier is I think the difference is, is she's not presenting a character. She's making a, a person. So, yeah, it's it, it could it could easily go into uh, a whiny Jewish kind of like, you know, caricature. Um, and, and I think that's kind of uh, that would be more something Woody Allen would have done, because I think he, you know, I think that's something he perceives Whereas I think Elaine May might have had this feeling of, of uh, you know, I don't think this woman is like that, really. I think she's, this is just all new to her, so she sounds annoying because it's like, you know, being with that friend, you know, that friend that you go to for the first time for sushi that they've ever had. And at this point, you're kind of like, oh, come on, get over it. Just, oh, I don't know. What about this? Oh, you eat that? Oh, that's something you do? <laughs> and that's all that you feel emb- like, you know, yeah. taking your parents to suit. You feel embarrassed for a bit, and you're kind of like, oh, that's annoying. But they're having their experience, and you had that experience, too. Yeah. You were the friend that was taken to sushi at some point. Um, so I think she roots everything in such a truthfulness in the character that she, I don't think she gets a pass. I think she gets a, a pass because, uh, of who she is, I think she gets a pass because of the work she put in. So I think her pass is because she studied hard and you know did good in school, versus uh, right. just kind of <laughs> saying, "Oh yeah, she gets away with it." She's you know, so I uh, you know I think I think that's more, that's more that's more of what it's about. And I think, you know, talking about uh you know the the period of time between this and her next film now, I I really think that she was able to kind of like. Uh, she was able to easily get her next project after f- kind of being in the middle or finishing her first project. And then I think after that, you know, after that movie kind of didn't do well uh, because of the lawsuits, I think a lot of people probably didn't want to touch her, which then took a while to get to her next film, which, uh, you know, one year apart between the first two, and then it's four years before the next one, and then 11 years to the one after that. So I think... Uh, I think, you know, she was able to strike while the iron was hot to get her next project and then to make that deal, which I think is, uh, was really big for the Neil Simon get. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there was, there was a a long shooting and editing and, uh, negotiating process on the next film as well. Um, which, which pushed that further back, uh, than, than it otherwise would have been, but, uh, we will get into that. Uh, next time do you have any final thoughts on this film before we um rank the two movies that we've watched so far i think one of my favorite moments and cuts in the film is when he's in the mirror and he's at the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and he's about to go out and he says hello and then he sits at the bar turns to look at uh at genie and says hello (laughs) <laughs> it's almost the it's almost like she actually used the audio from the earlier one into this bar scene yeah. so it sounded exactly the same which you know it's that putting on a show classic on sociopath that. behavior classic tr- practicing in the mirror to make sure that he looks human, human. Yeah. and then going to do that and then that's how he got his sir career. i am interested in your human daughter <laughs> there's no deceit that, in this cauliflower 
there's no deceit in this cauliflower. <laughs> this is honest potatoes. Um, and I think I think like this movie could have easily turned if they had that conversation, that breakup conversation, someplace that wasn't the cafe. He easily could have murdered her. Oh yeah, and moved on with his life. Well, in a way, these uh, that, these totally could be like a merging of the two movies. Like it, you know, the, yeah. it could it could have easily been a dark comedy where he realizes like he can't get out because he can't lose. You know, his uh, there was something in the prenup or something like that. So he's got to yeah. kill her to get this other woman. Um, but this movie is too real for that. You know, there's, yes, it is. there's never, uh, there's not, not even never a false note in this movie. There's never like a movie note in this movie. <laughs> like it, no, all, it always right. feels like real life and that makes it all the more terrifying. Which is funny because I think that was the problem that the studio had with her first movie is it was moving in this one direction and then it took a turn Yeah, and then goes to another turn towards the end and their problem was the first turn, which they excised, and the movie worked, you know, well. But we can't we can't judge to see which one was better. Yeah. And I think it's almost like she subconsciously took a note and didn't go, t- didn't make the film have that turn, and kind of kept it going in a straight, in a sh- more of a straight laced fashion. But it doesn't feel movie. It doesn't feel Hollywoody. It's like you said. It it feels very real in terms of uh, the emotion and the characters so I like this movie a lot that's that uh, my final word is that <laughs> this movie was great um, if we're gonna rank them if we begin that game I I, I would put uh, this is now my this is number one yeah this is above new leaf very easily hands down um, I'm I'm saddened I almost wish uh, I did the dick thing and kept the library copy and just paid the twenty dollar yeah. replacement fee. <laughs> I know I could totally watch this movie again this weekend. I, no problem. I could, I could as well. And I think uh, I'm hope hope against hope that uh, with a new leaf being put back out and people yeah. talking about Ishtar in a more positive sense. Mikey and Nikki being on streaming services that are doing well. I hope this person just kind of says, "Let's let this out." Yeah. Or I hope this person kind of passes away. Yeah, that would also be gently. good. Natural, natural death. Not, nothing, well, nothing. poison would be okay too. <laughs> Walter Matthau's not around anymore, unfortunately. Do the deed. Um, yeah, um, uh, I, this is also my number one. Um, <clears throat> it is easily my number one, but I still. Uh, have an enormously high regard for a new leaf. I think both of these movies yes. uh, would qualify as masterpieces, and I think uh, I am I have n- I have not seen Mikey and Nikki, and it's been twenty plus years since I saw Ishtar, so there. Uh, so you know, I don't know what's coming um, for the most part. Uh, but knowing the troubled history that those two movies had um, and knowing how far apart they were and how far after this this movie it was, um, this this has to rank as a one of the major losses in American cinema and certainly in com- American comedy uh, that we didn't get uh, an Elaine May movie 
at least every three or four years uh, from then till now, um, you know, we could have, you know, uh, do the math quick in my head, but we could have 15 of these um, Mm -hmm. very easily sitting, sitting, uh, you know, waiting for episodes uh, after this. And um, instead of, instead of 65 Woody Allen movies <laughs> um, <laughs> that are all the same plot for the last 20 years. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that, that, um, that this one, two punch was, was not followed up by, um, by anything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yep. No, I agree. So that's, that's the bummer note that we're going to end up. We're sitting on the couch as the 10 year old, um, walks away <laughs> would you excuse me please yeah. yeah will you excuse me wistful looks upon our face <laughs> thinking about the movie and how we've enjoyed it yeah exactly if you listen if you listen closely you can hear right are we thinking about carpenters are we thinking about a new leaf or are we are we still on the heartbreak kid you guess you'll just have to wonder um and for that all right well next time is mikey and nikki and um this is a different kind of movie um i don't know all about it but um it does sound very different from what we have experienced so far well that's good i'm glad i'd like to see you know that's part of the fun about a director seeing them grow and change and trying new things it's a shame that uh she wasn't given the opportunity to try more things amen well uh so we'll we'll pick it up um next week for uh mikey and nikki and with that we're complete for another week